Hey everyone, this is Dr. William Clark here. So glad that you're joining us for the Dr. William Clark podcast. This podcast is focused on helping nonprofits simplify the fundraising processes they use so they can build six-figure programs without chasing funders. I don't know about you, but I wish I knew this information before I started working in the nonprofit world years ago. But I'm here to help you build six-figure programs and I'm here to help you on your journey. So would you be so kind to not only listen to this podcast, would you also rate, would you also subscribe, would you also comment on this podcast wherever you're listening? And lastly, would you also be kind enough to share this podcast with a friend or a colleague who you believe can benefit from the content we're sharing? Now, we are here to help and support you on this journey, and I believe that we have some resources that can help you quite a bit. So go ahead, like, comment, subscribe, and share this podcast. Now, let's jump into our show. Hey everybody, it's Dr. William Clark here for the Dr. William Clark podcast. I'm glad to be with you for another uh, week, another day of podcasting and and talking through this idea and concept of fundraising for our nonprofits, our ministries, uh, and the organizations that mean so much to us. Uh, we have uh, begin, begun transitioning uh, to talking about this uh, more intentionally and more deeply uh, in our podcast, and I'm glad that you are all joining me and thank you for those of you joining me uh through your podcast and platform of choice and thank you for those who are watching on youtube and facebook and uh when it comes to instagram and linkedin you guys are getting small pieces of this so i encourage you on linkedin and on uh, instagram to not only watch the clips that you get to see uh but to, but to go ahead and go to drwilliampclark.com and find on the website where it says access to podcast you can do the video audio version of the podcast is up to you uh but i encourage you to look at the long form because that's where you're going to get the full scope of what we're talking about uh in our podcast going forward and so uh you know we're talking about this idea of fundraising and today i want to address a topic with you about how to create a culture of fundraising uh this this particular topic i think speaks to why i i said earlier in the year that we're not going to completely get rid of talking about leadership stuff because leadership stuff has such a huge implication on what we do from a fundraising perspective and how we approach fundraising and without leadership being present uh without the organizational strategy stuff that we've talked about being present it becomes very difficult for any organization to establish uh, an infrastructure of fundraising within it. And so I want to uh, I want this to be the first opportunity where I call out where leadership stuff still plays a role, where we used to talk about leadership conversations. This is where and why it fits, right? So this conversation about how to create a culture of fundraising, there are a number of things I want to share with you uh, in this podcast. Uh, so I encourage you to get some something out to, uh, to not only to listen, but also to take notes uh, to plug in, because I want to share some concepts with you that's going to make a, a impact on your fundraising uh, this week alone. It will uh, you'll see some immediate results there as soon as you plug this into your uh, to your work. So the first thing I want to talk about as it relates to creating a culture of fundraising, uh, I think it, it begins with having a set of organizational goals and you know, organizational goals are, are are things that you want your organization to achieve, things you want to see happen within your organization. 
and that plays a significant role in all the activity the organization engages in. Uh, the organizational goals are the overarching uh, things you want to check off, things you want to accomplish, things you want to see happen uh, for the entity at large. And the goals itself may or may not include money. Uh, I would argue that your goals probably should include money. Maybe it's not a part of the top line of the goals where, you know, it's not necessarily publicized. Uh, but go the goals should have money implications as a part of it, particularly uh, for your nonprofit, because without having the money in place, it becomes difficult uh, to 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 achieve any of the programmatic outcomes, consumer based outcomes you're targeting. We are a consumer based consumer facing business and industry. We serve people. Uh, we serve community needs. We serve the needs of the greater good. And in order to do that, in order to be in a place where we can do just that, it, we, we need money. We need money to pay for overhead. We need money to pay for staff. We need money to pay for supplies. And all the little things that come into play as it relates to funding a venture of such as the one that we're talking about. And so your organizational goals have to be clear regardless of what they are. Uh, but I am saying to you that they need to include money as a part of it. How are you going to support? How are you going to pay for these goals you have? And some of you listening who are struggling with embracing this, what it means to run a nonprofit, you've had this vision and dream and you said to yourself, man, I, I want to do this. And you finally got the uh, put yourself in position late last year, sometime earlier this year uh, to finally start your business, your nonprofit, your uh, ministry. And you didn't realize what goes into supporting it. You can uh, pay for yourself and fund it yourself and, and be the chief loan investor in your nonprofit, and that's great. But as the needs of the people you serve and the communities you serve grow, so will the need for resources. And many of you who are starting from the bottom up, right, where you're launching something, it's a passion project, uh, it's something of interest for you, you are also launching something. Um, probably while you're working a, a regular job, you're working a nine to five and it's difficult. It is extremely difficult to maintain your, your regular job as well as launching this passion project. And so when you look at that from a time perspective, you're going to be stretched thin. The more people start to pull on you, the more people start to use your resources and use your nonprofit, which is a great problem to have. But then but the question becomes, how are you going to fund the growth, whether it's hiring staff, providing resources for more people or whatever the case may be. Now you got to go ahead and, and do more. Uh, you got to do more and serve more people. And so that becomes a huge question uh, for a lot of people. And so uh, that is something that you got to wrestle with. What are your goals and how is money tied to it? Money has to be tied uh, to what you're doing in order to support it. And, um, you know, I can't I can't state enough. You know, as we talk about money, uh, it's not just about how much you need, but it's also how are you going to get it? You know, it's it's easy to say, well, I need this. And quite frankly, we take that back. It's not easy to say how much you need, because I think a lot of people struggle with budgeting, you know, and projecting budgets for what they think they need and what they want to accomplish. When in reality, they probably need way more than what they're saying they need. They probably need a lot more than 
than what uh, they claim uh, that they tell the funder that they need. And so the truth becomes uh, how much do you actually need? And then also, once you figure out how much you actually need, then how are you going to get it? How are you going to get the money in place? Because you cannot take your 10%, your tithe from your job and fund an entire organization. If you look at mature organizations, if you look at organizations that are grown and large, uh, and have capacity, etc. They are not funding it from the single donation of a single donor. While in some rare cases that is the case, larger, big behemoth organizations are funded because of the investment or the stock uh, transfer from a very, very, very wealthy individual. You look at the the average nonprofit. That is not the case. That's not normal. So so when you look at how it actually works, it, it works uh, based upon a, com- a compilation of resources from multiple people plugging in to say, hey, we're going to put our money together to do this, whether we're going to be a group of individual donors, whether we're going to be a group of uh, funders, whether we're going to be a group of fundraisers that pour in our money to support a vision. That's what it's, what it's going to take. And Regardless of whatever strategy you choose, it's going to require you to step outside of yourself to support your vision. It's going to take more than your 10% to support your nonprofit or your ministry. It's going to take more than whatever you can muster up from your family if they decide to give to support your nonprofit. It's going to take partnerships external of you and beyond you to help you get your nonprofit off the ground. In order for people to give to you, and in order for people to be inspired to give, in order for people to feel like it is worth their time and, and resources and uh, there's an alignment with your giving, you got to have some goals. you got to have goals for the organization to achieve. Um, I, I can go deeper into how to set goals. Uh, you can look at some of the archives of the podcast, uh, the Dr. William Clark podcast, and look back at what we've talked about historically over uh, how to set organizational goals. Um, but your goals need to be clear. They need to be coherent. And if you uh, one encouragement I'll leave here with you for the for this up and coming um, organizations, uh, if you are setting goals for the first time. Uh, I don't want you to feel the pressure of trying to set goals and be perfect and resolute with them, right? They're going to mature and evolve probably quite a bit over the next one to five years. And even after you mature after a while, when you get to year 7, 10, 15, uh, the goals do or should become more stable. Uh, But then there comes this refreshing period every three to five years where you just say, all right, what have we accomplished? What have we achieved? What have we what have we been able to do? Uh, And we need to redo our goals and kind of go forward with uh, making some adjustments. So don't be too hard upon yourself when it comes to setting goals. Look at some of the archive content uh, from this podcast and uh, we walk you through how to set goals. So. We're talking about how to create a culture of fundraising within your organization. Uh, The second thing you want to look at is after you set organizational goals, the most important thing you want to do is establish individual goals for individual people. There are countless numbers of people uh, within and outside of your organization who who are going to play a role in helping you fundraise and meet your goals. And it's it's not enough to to say hey you do this you do this there needs to be some conversations about uh what one's responsibility is to the organization 
and what their responsibility is to the fundraising platform and strategy of the organization. Um, the specificity of that conversation is so critical. It's so needed uh, because people can 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 be given a thing to do and not know why they're doing it. They don't know how it connects back to the bigger picture, the bigger goals of the organization. Um, and then people sometimes will just do stuff because they feel like it's the best thing to do when it doesn't really match up or align uh, with the organization. I want to I, I want to challenge you uh, as you establish individual goals for people to be super specific about what you want them to achieve. Now, notice I'm saying not what you want them to do, what you want them to achieve. The goals, the individual goals of a person is all about what they are achieving how they do it is a different conversation. Um, I'm not going to talk about the how uh, because it depends on the culture of your organization. Some people have a micromanaging culture, uh, which isn't always the healthiest. Uh, and so they may be prescriptive about what they want people to do or how they want people to execute their goals. Uh, some of you may have a more uh, entrepreneurial culture where people are given the license and the freedom to be creative and innovative to come to a conclusion on how, assuming that they know how, assuming that they have the skill and the capacity to do it. Uh, but you should, at a minimum, have conversations about what you want people to achieve. And their achievements should be in direct alignment with the organizational's, the organization's goals. If you're giving people things to achieve that does not hit or align with the goals of the organization, you're going to find a huge disconnect. And you're going to find yourself at the end of the quarter or the fiscal year struggling to find what did Johnny do for the last 12 months? And I think this is where we get into organizational cultural trouble, where we start to put blame on Johnny when Johnny does have some culpability here. Uh, but the organization and its leadership has greater culpability because the there was lack of specificity of what you wanted Johnny to achieve. Now, we talked about in organizational goals the importance of having goals that speak to and that reference resources and money. If you are unable to do just that, uh, then you're going to struggle quite a bit to find uh, how to help people uh, achieve goals. So, for example, let's say the organization has a goal of raising $5 million and the $5 million is for a community center. That is uh, the goal of the organization. Now, you may have, um, depending on your position, let's assume we're talking to executive directors, let's assume we're talking to you know, CEOs of nonprofits, you may have a team of people uh, who, let's say you have about three people that report to you, and each of those people have impact on that goal. Um, for example, let's say your chief um, development officer has the goal of raising the five million, right? Let's say your chief operations officer has the goal of making sure program operations uh, is planning for what activities and programs will be run out of uh, that new facility, right? And also keeping up performance for current funding so that we're not losing any money from the $5 because uh, that can happen where you're so busy focused on the future that you let go of today and funding you thought you can count on for the future gets removed because the funder says, well, you're not performing, uh, you're not focused, etc. And let's say 
the the third person reporting to the executive director uh, is the CIO, and this person is responsible for developing or identifying a um, a financial tracking system. All right. Um, and this system allows the CDO, the chief development officer, to track how much money is raised and from whom uh, so that they can not only track but also send thank yous and also earmark dollars as they're coming in. These three people are reporting to the CEO or the executive director, and these three people have sub-goals, personal goals, individual goals that directly align with the organizational goal of raising $5 million. That connection is so critical because if you don't have your chief development officer focus on raising $5 million, then what are they spending their time on? Raising money for stuff that is not relevant to the community center, right? So you got to have them focused on what's important to the organization. And even with the chief development officer as that person starts to give out goals to their team and, and so forth and so on again the goals begin to trickle down as you go further down the organizational chart and no matter who's working on what piece of this process or project it still should funnel up to the chief goal of raising five million uh, when it comes to program activities Again, program frontline staff can feel that they are completely disconnected from organizational goals, and, and those feelings may be legitimate, but the reality is their activities are directly implicated and a part of the goal for this example of raising $5 million. because if we get a reputation of not performing and not delivering program results or not delivering on outcomes for our clients or not connecting and support uh, working with and deep connection with the funder, that can have a ripple effect on the chief development officer and their team's ability to raise money because now your organization's reputation is start to go down the toilet. And over this campaign, that can that rumor can spread, whether true or not, which would get people to wonder, why should I give you money if you guys can't handle the basics right now or what you're doing right now? So all of it is connected. And, of course, the CIO developing an information system that is able uh, to, to, to not only collect data for programs, which all nonprofits should be able to do, but also to collect financial data. How much is coming in from what source? Which way are people donating, whether it's cash, check, or an online system? And if it's an online system, which one? Which one is most profitable? Which one is most used used by our donors? Which one is most comfortable? Which one is most user-friendly? Is it our website? Is it PayPal? Is it Square? Is it some other platform um, uh, that, that we're using to integrate into our work? And so all that data means a lot because now, as a chief development officer, the more I know about how the money's coming in, then I can speak to future donors to say, hey, these are the ways people are giving. Maybe this aligns with what you're using to already give, or we can work on things that are not giving. Maybe there's a bottleneck with the process online. Maybe there's a bottleneck with collecting check and cash. Maybe there are issues, and so without having that data, you're not going to be able to make adjustments. All of this is about how to create a culture of fundraising. The COO and the CIO idealistically and theoretically have absolutely nothing to do with fundraising because they are not out, you know, asking people for money. However, their work either helps or hurts the ability of the chief development officer and their team to raise and ask for money. So everybody, everybody in your organization influences fundraising outcomes and fundraising results. 
if you don't see it that way, if you don't treat it that way, then your organization is going to struggle staying connected and struggle with creating a culture that is moving in one singular direction. I've seen it too many times, see it today, working with clients and students who are struggling to steer the ship towards a goal, but they are not uh, connecting the work of every individual to the singular set of goals that the organization has set, particularly as it relates to fundraising. So that can be a huge, huge issue. And I encourage you to really think deeply about how to connect people to uh, to the goals at hand. Uh, the next thing you want to do uh, when creating a culture of fundraising is to schedule regular check-ins for measurement. Um, you know, you can't give out individual goals, let alone organizational goals, and not create a process where people are are invited to to check in with uh, the results of what they are working on. It's important for people to know that you're going to be uh, measuring results, that you're going to be looking at outcomes, that you're going to be uh, working towards um, uh, looking at how they are are tracking towards the goals. Without the check-in process, it's kind of hard to hold people accountable. And then it's kind of hard to know how close we are to what we say we want to achieve. Uh, The check-in process, I think some people make it a punitive thing. And if you're petty like that, (laughs) I don't want to say more power to you because it's not going to be powerful at all. It's actually a a distraction and a detraction. Uh, But you shouldn't be petty to use it as a punitive uh, tool to hurt and harm people. It it comes back to bite you in the butt. Uh, But the measurement process is all about looking at how close are we to the goal. And if we're not moving according to the projected schedule or pace that we identified, then the measurement of where we are and how far everybody is on their individual goals allows us to take a deeper dive into this set of goals that are not progressing as fast as we hoped. This is where you as a leader, as a manager, uh, exercise the gifts and skills and ability of management and leadership. Okay, management looks at the fact that we're not producing on on schedule, on pace uh, with the output as directed or expected. The leader and perhaps you are leader and manager uh, in you says, "Okay, now that I have pinpointed that issue, how do I influence the outcome, whether it's influencing people? whether it's influencing processes or policies, whether it's influencing strategies or plans, whatever I need to do to create a a ripple effect of influence so that we can get some sort of traction or make the proper adjustments, changes, uh, subtractions, or additions that I will do from a leadership standpoint. If you have a singular management focus, a focus where you're only focused on outputs and widgets, it becomes very difficult for you to understand when, where, and how to create ripple effects of influence. Influence is what leadership is. And I have seen over the years that there are a ton of managers, but a lot of managers don't know how to be leaders. In most cases, leaders know how to be managers. They know how to influence and they know how to pinpoint what the problem is or how to measure a manager process. I encourage 
all of you listen to this podcast, leaders of nonprofits, to become a leader and still maintain your management skills because you're going to need them both to be effective in growing your nonprofit. But you're going to have to get to the point of utilizing check-in meetings, regularly scheduled check-ins, to understand progress points and to look at how close or how far we are away from our goals. When you don't see the results you want, you have to figure out where you can influence stuff and influence does not mean get in the weeds and just do it yourself that that is not leadership leadership is not about getting and do it doing it yourself because nobody can do it right that is that is widely rejected and is not productive for you in fact leadership is all about saying okay what coaching can i provide to you so that you can move forward with the work you're still assigned to do. Because I'm not going to take away your work. I'm not going to take away your responsibility. But I've been where you've been and I can coach you. I can help you with some solutions. I can make some introductions for you that can help you get from point A to point B. Okay? That becomes very essential and vital uh, to you as the leader to make sure you have check-ins. If your uh, chief development officer is responsible for raising $5 million, let's say over a 24-month uh, period, then you want to check in on a regular basis, whether it's biweekly or monthly, to see how close are we. We started at zero at the top of the year. Uh, by end of January, where are we? Are we at least 2%, 5%, 10% there? Maybe we have a surprise and 20% because an individual donor was planning a gift and the timing just worked out and they decided to give toward this campaign. And then, and, and uh, speaking of that example, right? If you have a jump in results, don't adjust your your timetable. Don't adjust the expectations. You still want to have a measured. Uh, you want to still have measured goals and measured outputs, regardless of spikes or decreases in performance. Because when you look at the average of gifts per month. Average of gifts per quarter per year, you still want to stay kind of flatline and consistent, regardless of the blips or dips that show up as uh, along along the trend line. It becomes important for you to not get overly excited or upset when you're not achieving things. It's all about the consistency. What's the average uh, output? What's the average response? Right. And those check-ins allow you to measure what's happening, what's not happening. If you are seeing things that are not being productive. Results that are not coming through the way you want them to. The check-ins allow you to have that regular scheduled time to say, hey, let's figure out what we can do different. This goes for the chief development officer in our example, the COO, the CIO, all of it. And again, the check-ins are all about outcomes that are connected to the goals of the organization. It's all about creating a culture of fundraising. You don't want to do fundraising yourself. You can't. If you're the founder of a nonprofit, founder of a ministry, you can't do it by yourself. You need partners you need people who are saying i am willing to invest in you i am willing to partner with you i'm willing to walk alongside you i need uh i am willing to to do whatever is needed to help you you need people that are willing to do that and and to walk alongside you and to say i am willing to be there with you the check-ins allow you to do that especially with people who are responsible for things that are relative to the outcomes you're targeting all right, folks, um, we're, we're still on this track, right? Trying to create a culture of fundraising. Um, 
here's the fourth thing I want to share with you. You you might want to have uh, a group of people who are focused on special projects, specifically uh, projects that will create new revenue that can support the fundraising goals that you're setting. Right. New new revenue, new projects, special projects. Uh, it's one of my favorite uh, things because uh, it's an opportunity to create programs, projects outside of, quote, the norm of your nonprofit with the express uh, goal of testing out concepts and ideas that can improve services, improve the experience of the customer, uh, and also invite investors, both existing and new investors, to come on board as a partner to support your work as it continues to evolve. Uh, special projects can be used to pilot ideas that you can't pilot within a standard program that you have. Uh, special projects can be used to pilot relationships and partnerships. It can be used to pilot strategies that you think might work, but you're not willing to test it in a live environment. So we'll put it in a special project to kind of have it uh, tested in a safe environment where it doesn't break anything. And in a nonprofit space, this is this is very real. It's something that I, I do often. It's something that I believe in. It's about testing ideas. Testing concepts, testing theories, testing uh, new ways of doing things because you want to see improvement in the work that you're doing and you want to offer new value, new, new improved value to your customers. Without that, without that happening, without that being the case, um, you, you find yourself being really, really stale. And so that could that could be a very difficult proposition uh, to make. And so special projects have a way of influencing culture. I have been in situations where special projects has uh, influenced culture, where the culture of the organization shifted because of what we found, what we learned through a special project. Language choices have changed because of special projects. The way we label things have changed because of special projects. Uh, the way that we do business has changed because of special projects. Uh, we have taken pieces of a special project and implemented in standard programming, and now that little blip, that little change, has created a whole new energy behind the program where staff are excited, the clients are excited, the stakeholders are excited, excited the funders are excited, and it creates new energy. Special projects can inject something into your organization that is absolutely missing and it's the same when it comes to fundraising when you're able to pilot special projects or concepts around fundraising then you're able to spike up the energy that could lead to sustainable changes in your fundraising approaches whether it's a special project for piloting new things that funders will fund whether it's piloting a special project of things uh, that will create new individual donor bases whether it's special projects that will result in you creating earned income strategies, earned revenue for your nonprofit. These things become super important, super essential uh, to what you do as a nonprofit leader and operator. Special projects can be the place where you can pilot new fundraising strategies that no one else is doing or talking about in your industry. You can pilot partnerships. Uh, for example, you may say, hey, I want to partner with the neighborhood grocery store because we have a youth serving organization and I want to partner with them to do a couple of things. Number one, 
I want to partner with them to see how we can get more of our kids, our clients, uh, uh, employed uh, at their facility, right? Number two, I want to figure out ways that we can figure out how to generate revenue, earn revenue, uh, by sending clients there who use a special code to make a purchase, right? So increasing their customer base, increasing their revenue, while at the same time doing some profit sharing with those customers that we share. It's about those things that can have a ripple effect in your fundraising and a ripple effect in your programming that you really want to tackle and tap into. You want to begin to explore with the local uh, barbershop. What does it look like to create business practices uh, among uh, professional practices among a small non a small uh, a small pilot of young people where we're teaching them how to be professionals, young professionals. Even though many of them may not ever cut hair, even though many of them may not ever become an entrepreneur. But what can we do to create this culture, this teachable environment where they're learning how to be professionals, where they're learning how to show up on time, where they're learning a work ethic? And then what does it look like for us to do some revenue sharing, some partnerships where if I send clients your way, you give me a referral fee for every client that I send, a small percentage, and every dollar you send over as a, as a connection to the referral fee goes to this young adult programming. It's concepts like that that can defray costs, that can increase revenue, that can give you unrestricted revenue for things that you really need to pay for. And it, it also provides, as I said, energy into the organization where you begin to see, wait a minute, if that concept works, then what else can we work on? What else can we do to introduce new things within the organization and within the, the way we do business? Who else can we partner, partner with? Who else is relevant to our work? Where else can we get traction in a way that just is unique to the work we do? Special projects have an incredible impact on creating a culture of fundraising. It can change everything. And where you are obligated to follow standards and procedures and you're not given the creative freedom to change things with some of your programs, you may find that because of a special project, you can go back to one of your major funders and make change, uh, make recommended, recommended changes to a program that they fund. To the point that if you've proven the concept upon recommendation, that means you've tested it with a special project, you've gotten some results over a defined period of time, and you're now making a recommendation to a funder to say, hey, we've been testing this for about 24 months. We want to share the results with you, and perhaps you might find them interesting. You will be surprised how funders will go along with the adjustments, not only because you made the recommendation, but because you have the data to prove it. Special projects can be the place where you test stuff out, look at the results, and say either it's going to work or not work. Some people, will, some funders will make recommendations to you and say, hey, we'll fund you to do this. And you can say, nope, not going to work. Well, why not? Because we tried it. Here are the results. Here's the data. Here's the period of time we tested it. Here's the long-term effects. And we realize that because of this, it's not going to help our clients in the way that we think. Special projects can make a significant difference in creating new blue oceans. If you have not read the book Blue Oceans, you got to read it. It's all about creating new new pot revenue pockets uh, where there is little to no competition, creating new uh, strategies where you are the only player, you're the only contributor, you're the only one having a significant impact on that thing. This is important. Special projects creates culture. Special projects influences culture, and it keeps you honest. It keeps you on the bleeding edge of creativity. If you are a nonprofit leader and you're saying, I am all about helping our clients get better and doing X, Y, and Z, 
and yet you don't invest in special projects, we have to question your authenticity. In order to get better, you don't get better by doing the same things. You get better by doing new things, better things, improving processes, improving, uh, changing the way you do business, adding things to the way you do business. Those things matter so, 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 so much to creating a culture of fundraising. So I have one more thing to share with you. We talked about organizational goals, individual goals, check-ins for measurement, special projects. The last thing you want to make sure you do uh, when you want to create a culture of fundraising, this is for all the senior leaders, the senior, senior leaders, the CEOs, EDs out there. Maybe you are a C-suite individual who is responsible for creating a culture of fundraising. The last thing and the thing you must do, this is certainly not least, you must have a master plan. The master plan governs the strategies that you're going to execute to get closer to your fundraising outcomes. Without a master plan, you're not going to be able to track performance. You're not going to be able to track how we're getting closer to organizational goals. You're not going to be able to track individual goals and outcomes. You're not going to be able to track performance at large by department or individual or organization. You need a master plan. If you not if you're not comfortable with master planning, if you're not comfortable with strategic planning, if you're not comfortable with action planning or project planning, uh, this might not be the work for you. Whether you're fundraising or running a program, you must have a master plan. The master plan governs every step of the process, every step of the way. And if you're not allowing yourself to plan the process, you're losing out on something tremendous. I have come across way too many people who who have laughed at and balked at the importance of planning. And the question becomes, why do I need to plan? Because I'm just doing great work. That's all that matters. I mean, yes, that matters. Don't get it twisted. But how do you know your work is great? How do you know your work is relevant to your goals? How do you know it's relevant to the community, to stakeholders? How do you know you're performing as you envisioned? Do you even know what your vision is? Have you written your vision down? Have you written your mission down? How do you know you're getting closer to achieving what you claim you want to achieve? There's no way to know that without a master plan, without a master strategy that guides everything and everyone how do you know you're spending money on the right thing if it's not getting you closer to your master plan or master outcomes it's difficult if not impossible it's difficult to do that without a master plan you need it you need the master plan in place in order for you to create this culture of fundraising you're looking for i have uh, in some of the archives of this podcast, talked about planning. You can take pieces of that along with other pieces that I've talked about in our archives, and you can begin to see where I talk deeply about master planning, strategic planning, action planning, project planning. It's all tied together. And quite frankly, to deepen the culture of this, uh, you as the senior person should not be the only one planning. While the master plan governs all activities, you sh must, let me just get this clear, you must have your, your reports, your direct reports uh, on down, create their own plans that feed into the master plan. Just like we have organizational goals and individual goals that tie into the bigger goal, uh, there should be plans that tie into every plan you have. 
Your master plan should be covering everything from we talked about raising the five million uh, program activity as well as the financial systems. There should be specific action strategy project plans that get at every detail step. And the plans that your teams develop must be super, super detailed. I can't tell you enough the, the without the detail, you're not going to be able to measure progress or results. Detail wins. Detail is king. Detail is essential. And you're going to need it. The master plan helps you with that. So uh, we have uh, we have covered quite a bit in this podcast how to create a culture of fundraising. you got to set organizational goals. You have to have individual goals for every member of the team. You have to do check-ins. You have to have special projects to innovate and test ideas. And you got to have master plans. This is essential to creating a culture of fundraising. I have seen it. I've done it. I continue to help people do this. And I encourage you, if you want to learn more, if you want to get plugged into uh, some assistance that can help you move uh, the needle in your fundraising and your fundraising planning, I encourage you to attend uh, our free webinar. Uh, my, You can go register at mysixfigurefunding.com. Again, it's mysixfigurefunding.com. And on that website, uh, you'll be able to register for our free webinar, How to Triple Fundraising Results Without Chasing Funders. Uh, that webinar talks about and reveals my three secrets on how I triple fundraising results without chasing funders. And there's a special offer at the end. You got to stay to the end to get your special gift and your special offer. And so I encourage you all to attend to watch that uh, particular webinar. I encourage you all to plug into what we're doing, what we got going on. It is important that you learn how to create a culture of fundraising. It's essential. I can't tell you enough. Uh, so you want to go to mysixfigurefunding.com, My six figurefunding.com register for our upcoming webinar that's going to be coming up this week and uh, i look forward to learning with all of you uh, and growing with all of you at my six figurefunding.com we'll be teaching on how to triple fundraising results without chasing funders this is dr william clark for the dr william clark podcast we'll see you in the next show peace Hey everyone, this is Dr. William Clark here. I just wanted to come on really quick and say thank you for listening to another episode of the Dr. William Clark Podcast. We are here to help you uh, simplify your processes so you can triple fundraising results to support the programs that mean so much to you. Would you be so kind to like, comment, and share this particular podcast? We are indebted to you for being faithful listeners to this particular podcast show. And we want to continue to spread uh, this message to other people who can benefit from it. So please share this podcast podcast episode and entire show with your colleagues your friends and people who you know can benefit from this you can connect with us in two ways you can go to drwilliampclark.com again that's drwilliampclark.com or you can visit us at my sixfigurefunding.com again that's my sixfigurefunding.com there you can register for our free upcoming webinar how to triple fundraising results without chasing funders it is possible, and I share with you the secrets on how to do that. Thanks again. We'll see you in the next episode.